0: Mr. Joyner, for those who missed episode one, hopefully they'll go back and (laughs) listen to that. Yes. But for those who didn't, you and I first met each other over 20 years ago on opposite sides of a courtroom and opposite sides of the law. I was the prosecutor in a federal case. You were the defendant. You were convicted. You served 17 years in prison. People might find it a little odd that the former prosecutor and the former defendant are now friends and colleagues, but that's the way it is. It's
1: just the way it is.
0: This is Justice Voices, stories that need to be told, voices that need to be heard. I'm your host, David Risley. I'm joined today by our guest, Leonard Joyner, who's Back again after a couple of years ago when we made a recording of an interview that ended up being episode one of Justice Voices. Welcome, Mr. Joyner. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You served 17 years in prison. And after you got out, you started a program that focused on helping returning citizens re enter successfully into the community. Without committing crimes that would cause them to return to prison. And you called that shifting into new gear, or sing for short. And in our last episode, we discussed that program. And today we'll get a little bit of an update yes. about that. One thing that's happened since then, since that last interview, is we've agreed that you would act as co host on future episodes of this program. I'm very grateful for it. Well, I'm grateful for it, too. I think we make a good team. I need to do. Well, let's talk about your work. What's happened with uh, with Sing during this time with the pandemic?
1: Well, right now, most of the service is being done through phone call, referral. We make the referral through the phone as well. Uh, we limit on the face meeting and stuff like that. Why I'm glad that we're trying to come up, me and my, oh, my board member yourself, we're trying to come up with a podcast so we can continue to get the message out.
0: By that, uh, speaking of the podcast, you're talking about the future episodes of this program, right? Yes. Now, we plan to publish those on the Justice Voices website and YouTube channel and Facebook page and probably yes. Instagram and Twitter in the future and an audio podcast that will be available. And those will feature, among other things, stories of people who have, like you, returned from prison. And many of them are your clients, people you know, people in the federal system, people in the state system. Mm -hmm. And we want to hear their stories. We want to hear their experience. We want the public to hear what their experience was like. Now, based on... Your experience with working with now hundreds of returned citizens after they've been released from prison coming back to this community. What do you see as being the most important factors that determine whether somebody successfully re enters the community without committing crimes that cause them to go back to prison? And those who do return to prison, what makes the difference? Well,
1: I think what makes the difference, you know. First of all, I must say, in order to make that change, you have to get out of prison before you physical release from prison.
0: What do you so, mean by that?
1: Well, you have to change your mindset, you can't have a criminal thinking mind, in which a lots of uh, individuals who go to prison It's a think take it to be a school because you there with many other people who have committed crime and. And you think you're getting smarter. So everybody don't have that same mentality for is I want to change when I get out. Some come out thinking, oh, I learned my lesson. I learned how to be slicker than I was the first time. I'd be more cautious. But that's not the case. So what I really mean, you have to change your way of thinking because you can't come out here keep thinking you can do the same thing and expect a different result. It just don't work that way. You find yourself back into prison. And Illinois' recidivism rates show that because they're very high, almost
0: 50%. You said before in the first episode, and you've repeated it here, that a person has to get out of prison in their mind first before they get out of prison back on the street. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? What does it take to get somebody to have that different mindset?
1: Well, with a different mindset come while you're in there, placing yourself around positive people who are thinking the way you think, people who are taking advantage of a second chance. Because every day is a day for you to make a difference, to change your outlook on life. It starts while you're in prison, not when you get out. So many people believe that when they get out of prison, they can turn that switch on and off. It just doesn't work like that because you have to come out here and get help. And it's good that we have a few programs, very few programs out here that help people who get out of prison. One of the key things of staying out of prison when you get out of prison is employment. Because if you got employment, you're able to get housing. Because without the employment, you can't get the housing because you got no money to pay your rent or your bills. So employment is
0: very important to helping
1: you to stay out.
0: When I was in the governor's office, the Illinois governor's office, as the director of public safety policy, formerly in that position, one of the things that I emphasized was that if... We are going to prevent people from going to prison in the first place or returning to prison after they get out. There have to be viable alternatives to crime, and that means that they need to be able to have decent jobs that give them a feeling of respect and causes them to be respected by others but if, there's, if the only business that's thriving in a community is the drug business or the crime business, that's the business enterprising young men and women are going to go into. Yes. And unfortunately, we have people who grow up in communities where that's the case. Now, here in Springfield, people have uh, alternatives to crime. What makes the difference between those who uh, choose crime... As their business and those who get other forms of employment. What makes the difference? Well, the difference, the difference in itself
1: is whether you want to be free or not. Because it's like you're playing Russian roulette. When you get out and, and return back to a lifestyle of crime, you're playing Russian roulette. There's no way you're going to win. You're not helping your family. There's no real reconnection of you and your family, for real. Because me, I know from past experience that if you live that lifestyle or continue to be in that lifestyle, there's only two choices. either going back to prison or you're going to get killed. It's just there's no other reason. Now, if you're out trying to be productive, what you say, Springfield gives you a chance to get job employment, people will give you a chance here. So if I make a legit job, make money, I might not make the money I want to make like $15, $20 an hour, but I got to be thinking, while I was in prison, I made 12 cents an hour. So I would have to be a fool in my mind to think that making $12 an hour is not better than making 12 cents an hour, but most of all, have my freedom.
0: When you work with people who have gotten out of prison and have returned to Springfield, one of the things you've been most successful in doing is working with potential employers to get those people hired and employed, have an income, a legitimate income. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. How do you how do you do that? Well, I reached out to several diff- different
1: local businesses here in Springfield, and surrounding town as well, even over as well as Jacksonville. And I set up telling them, hey, my name's Leonard Jordan. I'm the CEO of this nonprofit organization. I'm trying to help individuals get a second chance. Would you help me to give them a second chance at employment? Uh, being a new citizen, uh, helping themselves to return back to the community successfully. You know, the individual be like, well, Mr. John, we don't have felony in our business. Well, let Mr. John share this with you. There is a thing. You can do a tax break from hiring the individual. Now you get their attention, the majority of them. But then you have some good-hearted people that believe in giving people second chance and not about the tax break for them as well.
0: One of those that we've, that's been very supportive of your program was Pizza Ranch. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Also, uh, Green Detailing, uh, they very successful in me. Uh, there's, like I said, I, I work with about 40 different agencies. I work with Lincoln Land Community College, uh, UIS, and uh, Champaign-Urbana. We're also working with the University of Illinois on trying to get this truck driving and other vocation thing Going.
0: When you make arrangements for somebody to get a job, I know from our conversations about this, sometimes it's a rocky road because sometimes people don't have a history of working. Uh, they don't have the work habits required to be successful. And so uh, they sometimes make mistakes. They sometimes don't show up for work. Or things of that sort. And what sort of arrangement do you have with employers who do give them a chance when things like that happen? Well we have, well me and the employment make a agreement for them
1: not to terminate or fight an individual until I talk to that individual. Uh we call that buddy buddy I'll a buddy buddy thing that we call it so and what I do, like if a person get in trouble, not showing up at work, I call, an employer will call me. I call that individual to come in, and we'll talk about what went on. I hear their side, because I already been heard what the employer had to say, so I hear their side. And I would have a little man-to-man talk or just a woman-to-man talk, whatever the individual may be, female or male, we'll talk. Then you know, I make a phone call back, hey, okay. They realize they made a mistake. Could we now get past that and move on?
0: You know, if people didn't have somebody like you to help them get the job and to work with employers and the employee to help them keep the job, it might be difficult for people to get started or if they got started to keep that job without losing it, and then here they are again in that situation you're trying to avoid where they don't have an income. They have skills, they know they could make an income, they could make money by committing crimes, and so too often they return to that. So I've heard it said that the three pillars, as we've said, of successful uh, reentry programs are housing, employment, and sobriety. Now, we've talked about employment. What's the situation as you see it with housing? How does that work here in Springfield and your knowledge uh, in the area? Well, for
1: a housing goal, I work with uh, a couple different agencies such as the Springfield Housing Authority who does allow felony to live in a certain area of the housing part. But what they do is we we'll con- they'll contact me, and uh, I send them to fill out an application called a felony application that allows this ex-con to apply for housing. And once they get into the housing, once they get the housing, what we do, what's, what I mean, what SING does is We might, if we have the funding, which I work with Community Action to do, we will pay their first month rent and their deposit. But they must be working at least 30 hours a week because one thing we don't want to do is set them up for failure. There's no, there will make no sense for me to pay your deposit and your first month rent if you're not going to be able to sustain it. That's why we make sure you got gainful employment. That's why we also send you through what we call a finance literacy class to
0: teach you how to budget the money. Who teaches the financial literacy class?
1: It's taught by uh, an individual over at the community action department along with the public health department.
0: What about sobriety? There are a lot of people who... Before they went to prison, they were using alcohol or other drugs to a level that caused them to become dependent or to to affect their behavior in negative ways that contributed to them making the decisions, the bad decisions, that led to going to prison and victimizing someone or victimizing a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, when they get out of prison, how common is for them Is it for them to have had the sort of treatment and support that they needed in prison that they don't revert back to those bad habits, that old way of life after they get out of prison?
1: Well, during my time in prison and my outlook on the re part of prison, they have what they call a drug program in there. It's more like you are being taught from a book or being told from the book. But I think one of the biggest thing is that we look at is that coming out here, putting you in some type of treatment because it's a sickness, it's a disease, it's an addiction. And without the proper treatment, you doesn't turn from it because in prison, we are self rehabilitated What I mean by that? In prison, you in the drug program, you're being talked. you're being kept away, you're being monitored, because most the times they have a drug, the only way everybody in there is taking the drug program, so all the negative stuff over there, you're not a part of it, because you're in the drug program, so you're separated, pretty much. But once you get out here, you're like, oh, okay, there's a chance that I can go over here and do this, and then when your probation offers, hmm, maybe I ain't got to drop as much. So maybe I can, you know, dab and over here on messing with drugs. But what we does at scene, stand with what you asked me, is that we send them to treatment like uh, we have the Famine Guidance Center. Matter of fact, the president, uh, I scene, worked at the Famine Guidance Center. There's other rehab programs that i work with that help the individual to get the proper treatment. Memorial Medical Center, they help us. Gateway. So I connect with a lot of different people to try to provide this roadmap of service to help the individual.
0: So essentially what you do is you act as a mentor and navigator for people when they get out of prison. Yes. If they get in contact with you and you have a you're well respected and well known in Springfield and so people pretty much through word of mouth get funneled to you and they make contact. You do a needs assessment, yes, an intake assessment, and then you provide mentoring yourself with them one on one and in small groups, but you also act as a, a navigator of resources. As a resource hub you you refer them to other resources, community resources that are available here in Springfield and programs that can help them be successful in avoiding falling into the traps that would cause them to return to prison. Have I got it right? Yes, you do, yes, you do. well, that's why I'm on the board now. Yes, I' into New Gear, and they're glad to have you too. Uh, just
1: to add a little bit more to what you're just saying is that uh, most individuals that get out and, and what makes it so high for people to individually return back to prison is there's not uh, enough resources to help the individual. That's why I'm always, uh, I'm always willing to go that extra mile so um, One of the things that we wish we could get is more us to come together and have more of service for the individual. I think that would really make a difference.
0: One of the things that has always struck me about you, the whole time we've known each other, after we reunited, (laughs) when I was in the governor's office, you don't get paid anything for doing what you're doing with SING. Is that
1: right? There's no pay involved.
0: We wish there was. Yes, we do. There's not the money to do that.
1: It's just the love I have. I just love helping people because somebody wants helped me. And I gave the guys my word before I left prison that, hey, guys, I'm going to go out there and pay forward.
0: Well, you're a remarkable man, Mr. Joyner. Thank you. There are not many people in your financial circumstances where you're just getting by. You work part-time at the Boys and Girls Club, and you are uh, you could use a good, steady paycheck. Yes. <laughs> and you are smart, man. You have other things that you could do. But if you were to be working full-time doing those things, that might detract from your time working with the sing clients. And so you forego some of those opportunities. So that you can do something for our community and for those people who are returning to the community that no one else is doing, or there's not enough people, I should say, Mm -hmm. that are doing, and you don't get paid for it. No, not that. You have a heart of gold. You have my respect, and that's why you and I are working together and why we want the stories to be told of people who return from prison to our community so that people can see what really happens. Because most people have no idea, they have no way of knowing what life is like for people. But when they get out of prison, in most instances they have fewer job opportunities than when they went into prison. They may have learned skills in prison, but now they have the stigma of having, of being a felon, a convicted felon. And even if as legal barriers drop for that, there's cultural and social barriers Mm -hmm. to hiring people and giving them that second chance. And so they have fewer alternatives to crime when they get out than when they went in. And yet we expect that somehow in our system when they get out, they will have learned a lesson, and they're not going to go back. One of the things I also uh, emphasized when I was in the governor's office was that we need to move in our criminal justice system from a punishment paradigm, which doesn't work, to a public safety paradigm, which is a problem-solving paradigm. If we approach criminal justice from a problem-solving standpoint, we may arrive at very different conclusions about how to deal with individuals, particular individuals, and how to solve the problems that they're facing and that they cause, that they create for our communities. But also, we would be able to come up with answers that would not only prevent people from returning to prison But those same things could prevent them from going to prison in the first place. One of the last things I will tell you from a policy standpoint that we want to do in our society is to create a system where in order to receive certain services that would prevent people from committing crimes, you have to first commit a qualifying crime. You've got to go to prison or you're not eligible to receive those services or those benefits. We need to take the lessons that we've learned from re-entry programs, successful reentry programs, like what you're doing, mm-hmm. and move that up to the front end like Willie did and that he was doing working with young people. So you work with them after they get out of prison and Willie was working with them to prevent them from the going to prison in the first place. Yes i got to tell you a Willie Joyner story. Willie, your brother, was arrested when we rounded up the Joyner family in that Mm -hmm. case and some of the uh, associates. And uh, at the beginning of the the, uh, formal beginning of that uh, case, when the cases were filed in court, Mm -hmm. Willie was arrested early in the morning when the police went there to his house thinking he'd be asleep. He was on his way out to his car when he was arrested. They asked him, where were you going so early in the morning? It turned out he was going to go to work. I don't remember whether it was a Hardee's or a, a Burger King, mm-hmm. but it was going to be his first day at work. Now, when he and I sat down together, because he entered into an agreement to cooperate with us in the investigation and prosecution of other people who are committing crimes. I asked him, Mr. Joyner, you're one of the biggest drug dealers in Springfield. How is it that Willie Joyner is going to work at at a Hardee's or Burger King, whichever it was? And he said, Mr. Risley, I just got tired of it. I said, what do you mean? You got tired of it. And he said, nothing was mine. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, well, let's suppose that I were to be going down the highway and I had $10,000 with me of drug money on my way to Chicago to buy drugs or on my way to buy drugs someplace. And I see red lights flashing in my rearview mirror. I've got to throw that money out the window. It's not mine. But let's say I've got $100 in my pocket that I got from working at Hardee's or Burger King, and I see those same red lights. That money stays in my pocket. It's mine. I'm tired of not having anything Mm -hmm. be mine. I asked him whether he thought he'd be able to keep it up and not go back to being the Willie Joyner that was the big-time drug dealer in Springfield. And he said, I don't know, but I was sure going to give it a try. Now, I don't know whether he would have or not, but it illustrates something. People age out of crime. The human brain matures later than we usually suppose, and people age out. And they are looking for alternatives when they get out of prison. If they went to prison, they're looking for alternatives. If they haven't been caught and didn't go to prison, mm-hmm. so what you're doing not only changes their lives, it changes our whole community. Because they're not now, they're not out there doing things that victimize people and cause the sort of damage in people's lives and in our community that cause that behavior to be criminal and for which they end up going to prison. So I just, I've been on my soapbox a little bit here, but let me just tell you, what you're doing is important. Thank you.
1: Well, where I would like to leave you with this is that uh, it's a win-win. Once we allow the individuals to come back and be productive in society, it's much better for us to help them than for them to go back. If you only knew how much it costs the state to send an individual back to prison, it's a cost. But on the other hand, it's a win-win for everybody. It saved the taxpayer money, it lowered our prison population, and then we connect family back together. So it's a win-win when we allow a person to successfully enter back into the community.
0: It's a win-win. It absolutely is. And we're going to do some episodes in the future, one of which I hope to do is on the subject of the uh, what you've talked about, the cost of prisons, running prisons, and of people returning to prison. We have a in Illinois a... a Sentencing Policy Advisory Council Commission, and they have done a study on that, and it would be good to have an episode where we talk about those things. Hopefully, we can get a guest that will help walk us through that. I think it would be an eye-opener. Thank you, Mr. Joyner.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Justice Voices, listening to stories that need to be told. Voices that need to be heard. And if you haven't done so already, please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and spread the word. We're looking forward to more episodes of Justice Voices, and we don't want you to miss any of them.